people this is your first day out of the house all week? Anybody? We were hopeful you would come for the nest. I know you've been holed up at home with the rain. Um, We have a couple of things. First of all, if this is your first time to the nest, welcome. It is our mission to nurture, encourage, strengthen, and train our moms uh, to raise up the next generation. So we are super glad you're here. First, I want to give a little shout out to... um, most of the tables on the back row are tables that are reserved for school-aged moms. So a little, bit, a little bit further along in their journey as being a parent. And so if you find yourself thinking, oh, I'd like to sit at those tables, then you can wiggle your way back there. If you're sitting at one of those tables labeled A, B, C, or D, and you have a preschooler or a baby at home, and you want to politely find another spot. Nobody will be offended. Or if you want that perspective, stay put. Your choice. Couple of announcements. We have a program here, a ministry here that functions through the nest called Hands and Feet. And this Sunday, they have a great thing that they're doing. They're making homeless care kits at three o'clock on Sunday. So if you're looking for ways to help your little one at home learn how to serve others in the community, then this would be a great thing to be involved in. Here's a little slide, and there's an email address at the bottom. They also have a Facebook page. So if you're looking for ways to serve all year long with your little ones, because I remember that, it's really hard when they're super young to figure out how to get them used to serving other people, then that's a great Facebook page to follow. And there's the email address if you need more information. So Sunday at three o'clock, they're making homeless care kits up here at Watermark. Um, Next month is our nest that's going to be a little bit different. It's our remix, if you haven't been to one of those. It's where we meet in here just to get breakfast and coffee and um, say hey to everybody and quick announcements. But then we go to the, uh, I don't even know what that building's called, the children's building. That's really fancy. That's why I couldn't remember it. And, um, and we meet in the smaller rooms and we have breakout sessions. We have nine of them next month. And so I just want to kind of give a little shout out to some of those that you're going to see. Um, the theme is the gift of relationships. And so here are some of the topics that you'll be able to hear about investing in your neighborhood, uh, being unoffendable, 12 ways to be an extraordinary boy, mom, in-laws, boundaries and expectations. There will also be one. Everybody's excited. Hear the murmur? There will also be one on community with kids. It's too much. Can I get an amen? Okay. Um, And then the other ones are moms and their daughters, sibling harmony, transitioning into the tween years, and sticky situations where you'll be able to talk through some things like, what if they're going to a house that I don't feel comfortable with my kid going to? Or what if they are asked to sleep over at someone's house and we want to say no, those kind of sticky situations. So we hope that you'll find one of those nine super interesting and want to come back and see those. When you register, it will ask you which class you would like to attend. That's just to help us get our numbers right. You're not committed to it forever, but let us know which one you're thinking about doing. And we're starting something new today, you guys. We have a group of ladies that blesses our leadership team in huge ways. They're called our mentor moms. And Um, Over the last couple of weeks, we've just realized they are so underutilized because they have so much wisdom and, um, and just so much perspective that we can't have where we are in our stage as moms. And so one of the things we're gonna start doing is a mentor mom moment, just so you can get to know who they are, 
um, kind of their personalities and what makes them just the wonderful women that they are. And they just want to kind of help you by, by giving you a little tip or trick during our mom moment. So I'm going to bring up Holly Barnett, and she's going to be our mentor mom moment this morning. Thanks, ladies. I'm excited to be here. Um, a couple of areas that I really like, and if you've been around the nest for a while, you know, like I like to cook and I'm not afraid of the kitchen and all the things that go along with feeding your family. And I like organization. And so if you're struggling with either one of those, please, please reach out to me because I really kind of enjoy it. I know some people are like, oh my gosh, but I really do. So I'd be happy to help you. So my tips for you now, um, what's coming up in November and December? Holidays. Yes, we've got Thanksgiving and we've got Christmas. And you know what? They happen every single year. (laughs) Thanksgiving, um, of course, changes um, with the calendar, but Christmas is December 25th every year. And so while we don't want to be a slave to to to-do lists and things like that, there are ways that you can use a list to actually help you so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I've figured out, this is just over years of experience, a couple of things. So just the way it works in our family, I'm usually the one who hosts Thanksgiving. I'm usually the one who cooks a lot of Thanksgiving. So a few years ago, I decided to make a master Thanksgiving grocery list. And I do it on my email and then I print it out on paper. You can do it in your email. But basically, it's Thanksgiving's kind of the same every year. Most families serve the same food every year. And so this is my master Thanksgiving list. If I know when I go to the store, I need this many potatoes and this many cans of cream of chicken soup and this, you know, whatever you're going to serve, I just have it. And then I don't have to go back and reinvent the wheel. The other thing I do is I have kind of a master, like who's bringing what and like who's buying the turkey, who's doing the sweet potatoes, who's doing the regular potatoes, who's doing the dressing or whatever. And then I make notes on on there after Thanksgiving's over, like, okay, I made too much dressing or we didn't have enough gravy, or that was such a waste of time to make my own cranberry sauce. I should have just bought it or whatever, because you think you'll remember it, but let's face it, ladies, you won't. Like we can barely remember what happened yesterday. So, um, I, I have master lists like that. And then I have a folder where I keep those lists and I keep the recipes that you make year after year after year. So you're not having to like is that an email folder? Who sent that to me? Is that in a cookbook? Is that um, on a recipe card or whatever? And I just made copies of them and I have them all in the same place. So when I start getting ready for the holidays, I just pull it out. I put Christmas recipes in here too. It's all in the same place. I know where it is and I don't have to hunt for it. So I know paper is old school. Some of you still are old school, but if you like, you know, the modern era, you can just drag all those in an email folder and then you have them. But the point is to just figure out a way to get yourself organized. You're not having to hunt for stuff and waste time. So my second tip is my Christmas book, which Mandy asked me to send a picture of it to her. And I'm like, well, it's not very glamorous because I think it was just like a spare notebook I had. It really doesn't look very Christmassy. And I started this in 2006. And what I have in here is the first thing I do is I write down everybody I have to buy for, you know, my family, relatives, all that. Like I do all the shopping for my husband's office. I write down everybody in the office that I'm buying for. If you have neighbors or you want to get like the mailman something or the woman at the dry cleaners or some just people that you don't want to forget about when your kids are in school, teachers, like 
you don't want to forget a teacher. If you're doing that, that would be really hard. And I'm like, even if you're just doing a loaf of bread or something for him. And then I started writing down too for like my husband's office, like how much we actually spent. Because if you've ever worked in the office and you got a really nice gift one year and then the next year you got like half that amount, you're kind of wondering what's up. So and again, I would think I would remember, but I don't. So I write all that down in here. And then as I shop, I fill in the blank of what I bought for the person. And that keeps you from like three days before Christmas. You're like, I have four gifts for child one and nothing for child number three. Or I, or like I bought a really cute sweater and I, and then I look back, I'm like, oh, I bought the same sweater for somebody last year. Like, oh, I probably need to change that. And then at the end of the year, what I do is I make notes to myself so that I will remember for next year. And that could be like, um, all the lights on the Christmas tree burned out except for two. Um, I don't need any more wrapping paper, but I need tissue paper. Don't buy any more ribbon with sparkles on it. Like I overordered on Christmas cards or I underordered and had to go back and get more. Um, just whatever it might be. And then that's super helpful when all the Christmas stuff is probably already all out in the stores. Like you can go get your wrapping paper and your ribbon and your tissue paper and stuff now. You don't have to wait until December to go buy that. Or you can buy it in January after it's on sale. And especially like with things like lights where, you know, like you start to decorate, the lights are all burned out. You go to Lowe's, the only thing left are like purple and yellow, uh, you know, blinking lights that are the wrong size. So there's nothing more frustrating than that. So this is what my Christmas book um, helps me just kind of keep organized. And then the next year I just start over again. I use it as the template um, for who I have to buy for. And it's kind of fun to look back at and see, like when my kids were both in school, I had a lot of teacher gifts to buy. And then you kind of hear, oh, I've got like this many teacher gifts to buy. Like how much do we really want to spend on that? But now you know, as you get older, your interaction with people like that's a lot less. Um, but it's just good for me to help me remember. And then you can write down if you have people that are in your life that you, they serve you, but you don't know their name, like the mailman or something like that. You can make a note of their actual name. Um, which I'm sure they all love to be remembered. And so those are my little tips for y'all. And again, like if you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I would really love to get some ideas, just email me. Our email's up there. I'm, I'm so happy to help you. Um, I know in y'all's stage of life, any way you can save yourself sanity and time is, is a win-win. So, all right, ladies, this morning, y'all are in for such a huge treat. Our topic is the gift of technology and we're going to have three speakers, um, Allison Treadaway, who's the director of The Nest, Wes Butler, who's the director of Family Ministries, and David Peniel, who is the director of Student Ministries. And I especially want to say thank you to Wes and David because this is their day off. And instead of like being home in their jammies, all cozy on this rainy day, they got up and got dressed and came up here to serve y'all. So um, let's give them a big round of uh, thank you before that. And um, without further ado, here is Allison. Awesome. Thank you. Ladies, I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Um, Father God, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be in a room where a church gives us space and time and financing to watch our children and not just have people watching our children, but people that are loving our children and pointing them to Christ. And we get to come in here and be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained by your word. That is the life-giving source of our hope. And so thank you, Lord, for this time and space. I pray you'll clear our minds from distractions. You'll clear 
our hearts from distractions and help us to hear the word you have for us today. It is in your powerful name that we pray these things. Amen. Ladies, there is not, I'm a little pumped right now because there's not really any other place that is one of my most important or favorite places to be than in this room. I love this room. I love this space because of what it means, what it stands for. There's a group full of women that are moms that want to be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained to raise the next generation of leaders to love and follow Christ. I mean, can I get an amen that you are here? I know you wanted to get out because of all the rain and the, the insideness you've had. And so I'm glad you came still and the rain held off for you to be here. And so thank you for being here. It inspires me to keep doing what we're doing. Um, I see tons of familiar faces, but there's quite a few that are new. And so welcome. Thank you for coming and trusting us with your time. I want to start with introducing my family. And this is Team Treadaway. Um, right there. That's my crew this summer at the beach. And so the six-eyed guy with the beard is my husband, Marshall. Uh, we got married in 2005. We have been members here at Watermark since 2003. Together, we have three kids. Uh, Parker is in a hat. He's 10. That's fifth grade. Callie, the precious, uh, light, bright smile there, is in third grade. She is eight. And Tucker, who's in Parker's arms, is a kindergartner, and he will be six in a couple of weeks. So that is my crew. And that super hip, cool mom, dabbing it up. Two years late is myself. That's how I roll. I'm always two years behind all trends. Ask all of my friends. It's true. Um, and I want to draw your attention to the watch that's on my hand. Um, how many of you have some sort of fitness tracking watch? Some sort of like a Fitbit, or a, raise it high. High, 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 high. You have one. Great. How many of you don't? What? Really? That's fascinating. Okay. How many of you had one, but you don't wear it anymore? Or you don't look at it. You don't use it. Okay. You're my people. That's me. That's me. And so that watch on my hand, I was gifted two years ago at Christmas. Again, two years late behind most of the people that got one. Um, I got one, immediately unpackaged it, put it on. And guys, it was really interesting, the sleep data and the step data that it provided me. And it became actually really helpful in my life for a variety of reasons. But the thing that was most fascinating about that watch was how there was two little bitty features that motivated a grown woman in ways that I did not anticipate. And so how many competitive people do we have in the room? Ex-athletes, I love it. You were like, yeah, me. I'm such a competitive person and I knew that, but I didn't know how bad it was until I got that watch. And so two things that it did. One, it would, um, a fire, a digital like fireworks display would go off on my watch every time I met my step goal for that day. And then second, it would track how many days in a row I met that step goal. Uh-huh. Giggle. Cause, and it was bad. It was so bad for a competitive person. And so it was really motivating. And because of that, I found myself really watching my steps, the number of steps. Is that me that's doing the feedback? Anybody else here but me? No? Okay, great. Um, cool. Anyways, where was I? So that. And so what was interesting was that... Um, was that I noticed when I would push a stroller or um, push a grocery cart, it wouldn't pick up the steps that I was doing. And that bothered me a lot. And so y'all laughing because you get it, right? Bothered me a ton. So you know what I did? I started navigating a grocery cart one-handed. 
I did. I would get, man, those steps I was going to get credit for, right? A stroller. Have you ever tried that? It's so inefficient. And so, but I was stubborn as a mule. Is it me? Right? Okay. I was stubborn as a mule doing that thing, right? And then um, another thing that I noticed was um, if I held hands with, right? Right? You guys are hilarious. You held hands with that hand. It wouldn't catch those steps. And so you want to know what I did? If anybody came to grab that hand, I would, I would switch sides. And what's real bad is I live on a street where I walk my kids to school Candace sees it, walks my kids to school every day to and from, and the, the sidewalk is right next to the street. And I would put my kids on the closest side of the street just to get those thousand steps that day, because that's how competitive I am. I wanted credit for every single one. I learned to carry a, a, laundry, a laundry basket around the house one-handed. I'd bounce it on my hip, or I would balance a stack of clothes on my chin just so I could get those steps. And guys, it got real bad. It got real bad because at the end of the day, when I'm sitting at dinner, I look, I'm like, oh man, I'm shy a lot. So I, I learned to like fidget my, my leg and I would get thousands of steps sitting down at dinner or like at the nest or at Bible study. Like I, I knew that I wouldn't meet my goal that day. So I did, I cheated. And then in the lowest of low moments at bedtime and I'd be climbing into bed and I'd see I was short. And that meant that the like daily count of how many row days I got in a row would reset if I didn't meet that goal, it bothered me. I would hang my hand off the side of the bed and shake my hand. And my husband, some of y'all are like, you're crazy. I was. And uh, my husband was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> you know? And he's like, babe, are you, are you trying to get steps? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that? And he's like, babe, that thing is owning you. And I start with that story today because that's the reality of technology. It is crazy helpful, but if we are not careful, it is gonna own us more than we own it. You don't have to look very far today to see that, that it's true. How many of you in this room are able to keep up with ones you care about because of technology? Family that live far, where's my, right? Me, I live in Dallas. My sister is in Friendswood, which is close to Galveston. My brother's in South Florida and my parents are in Houston. The only way I keep up with my family is through technology. I see them a couple times a year. And so I recently got to help my niece in Florida pick out her homecoming dress because of FaceTime. Um, I speak, speaking of Houston, a year ago last month, was the um, anniversary of Hurricane Harvey. How many friends and family were impacted in your life from Hurricane Harvey, right? We saw J.J. Watt, the defensive back for the Houston Texans, raise $41.6 million to help rebuild Houston from the devastation of Hurricane Harvey. Technology is helpful. We don't have to look very far to see that, but we also don't have to look very far to see how it's owning us. Get out your pens and write down the number 2167. 2,167, 2,167. That is the number of times that research shows that we are touching our phones a day. That equates to two and a half hours. Technology's owning us. And on a more somber note, the CDC just came out with a statistic in the Science Daily that said that teenagers, since the entrance of technology devices, specifically the smartphone since 2007, Teenagers that spend more than five hours a day on a device, or 48% of them, are experiencing suicide-related behaviors. 
Technology is helpful. It is a gift. But if we're not careful, it owns us. And so lady, there is, ladies, there is hope though. There is hope for that. And today we are gonna look at the key to owning devices in our home. The key is an acronym and it's on your handout. Um, K-E-Y is an acronym. And so before I pass the torch to David Peniel, who's gonna unpack point number one, the K, um, be sure as you're listening to write down any questions that come to mind. We are gonna do a Q&A at the end of today. So if there's any questions you have, write them down and you'll be able to text them in later. And so let me introduce David Pinion to the stage. Woo! I don't care that it's my day off. I will come to the nest every single time you have it if you have that snack table. <laughs> my mind is literally blown. It, the trajectory of my life has changed. There, there were these, they're gone. The, these balls of like peanut butter and sugar and chocolate chips and they're a delight. <laughs> I've already gotten the recipe and, and I hope you'll welcome me into the nest. I'll be, I'll be what she was saying earlier. I'll be the boy mom. I didn't think boys were supposed to be moms, but I'll be a boy mom. Is that okay? And come to, thank you. Great. All right, it's owning you, you're in big trouble. Uh, I direct the high school ministry here at Watermark. If we've never met, I'll briefly introduce myself. There's my family, my wife, Allie, uh, my three kids who are exactly the same age as the Treadaways kids. So it's fun uh, to get to run alongside them, uh, play on some sports teams and things like that. Chapman, Cole, and Annabelle are my children. I've been here at Watermark for 16 years working with junior high and high school kids. I know many of you uh, have future junior high and high school kids, but they're much younger now. And so I have this unique perspective having young children, uh, but also seeing where this goes and being in student ministry close to teenagers and their families during this era, really where, you know, the iPhone just came around in 2007. And I started here in 2002. So it was kind of pre when everybody had cell phones and pre everybody was online and all of those things. And so I've got to kind of walk with kids and families through uh, this advent of technology and, and devices and all this stuff. And so now I have this really kind of interesting uh, foresight with my own kids. And I'm excited to share some of it with you. But as the director of the high school ministry, I'm the guy that everybody calls when they freak out. And so uh, a couple months ago, there was this viral article that kind of everybody was sharing on Facebook. And as if sharing it on Facebook wasn't enough, there were a lot of people that thought the student minister at Watermark needed to read this article and do something about it. And so it's my day off, like today. I wasn't up here, I was at home chilling, trying to hang out with my wife, trying to spend the weekend with my kids. And I started just getting tons of texts. I started getting emails. People were calling me and they're like, have you seen this article? We gotta get high school kids off Snapchat. So here's the like headline of the article. And I'll read you some of it. It was Snapchat introduces Cosmo after dark. It's porn. That's the stars for an O. Um, And and some of the things in this article, it said, um, 
Snapchat. So Snapchat, if you don't know what Snapchat is, it's like a social media deal where you send messages to people and they disappear after 24 hours. And, and just heads up, it's for many high school kids, the primary way they communicate with one another. So it is replaced, you know, they don't text. I text a kid and they're like, why are you texting me? That's an ancient form of communication. And right now for this moment, which it'll probably change in a year, but in this moment, like a lot of kids, a majority of high school kids interact with each other exclusively on Snapchat and they have no problem with it. So these parents are all flipping out, small group leaders flipping out, other people on church staff flipping out because Snapchat has introduced this new thing called Cosmo After Dark. So it's not just a communication tool. There's kind of this discover section page of it where uh, different people can put content on there and you can follow it. And so Cosmo After Dark was introduced like this. The channel is an X-rated weekly edition that goes live every Friday at 6 p.m. and is exclusively dedicated to all things hot and horny. That's the first time horny's been said at the nest. Um, Got that done. Uh, Some of the articles that were screenshotted here were uh, the steamiest, most X-rated sex party confessions, the 19 best porn sites for women, 12 songs you should have sex to right now. And then there's some that I really don't even feel comfortable reading here. Um, and so everybody's sending me this going, did you know Snapchat has this? And, and we got to stop this. We got to make sure no kids ever use Snapchat again. And they're afraid and they're freaking out. And so when we're talking about the key to owning technology in your home, home the, the first thing I've been charged with communicating to you is this, the letter K. Keep focused, don't fret. Don't fret because there's a lot of threats to technology. The threat is not just it owning you and you shaking your hand by your bed to get steps. There's pornography, but there's not just that. There's, there's the resulting kind of bad attitudes that even your young children have when they spend too much time looking at the screen. There's the potential for addiction. Uh, there are app companies that are hiring psychologists to help them make their apps more addictive so they can make more money. And they're just trying to suck our lives away from us. There's, there's the change of language and the exposure to language and ideas that comes with access to the entire internet. Uh, there's resulting violence that can come from uh, things that you learn and also the addictive behaviors. There's all brands of social drama. I mean, imagine this, almost everyone in the fifth grade at Mohawk Elementary where my, my kid goes to school has iMessage if they don't already have a phone number. And there is a group text for fifth graders. My son's not on it, thankfully. But can you imagine the drama of this group text where fifth graders are allowed to speak freely and not like without being face to face with one another? And so there's constantly trouble going on. And we're looking at our son being like, aren't you glad we're not letting you in the middle of that mess? And he's kind of like, yeah, I think so. Um, But like, there's all sorts of social drama. I mean, there's a lot uh, to freak out about, but but the key is this, keep focused, don't fret. And we're gonna start with the second part of it. Don't fret. My encouragement to you guys is this, when Snapchat comes out with Cosmo After Dark, when when you see the latest viral article and and threat and, and, and statistic of how bad these cell phones are, resist the temptation to freak out and be afraid. I want to show you two things it says in God's word to encourage us with this. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Guys, let's just stop for a second while this scripture's up on the screen. I think some of you, if not many of you, are here today and you come to things like this because you're afraid. 
that you might be a bad mom or you might become a bad mom. And let me just tell you, you're not. You're here at a church, which means you're seeking God. You're humble enough to want to learn and grow. And God has a message for you this morning saying, don't be afraid you're gonna be a bad mom. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And I'm telling you, the enemy wants to suck us in with every viral article and post and warning that's out there and make us afraid. And God says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul says it another way, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Don't go fret to the youth pastor. Leave him alone, it's his day off. (laughs) Thank God for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So David, how do you do this? There's so many dangers. There's messages of warning. There's pressure out there. There's, everything's changing so fast. How can we not be afraid? Back to the first part, keep focused. Keep focused. We have to remind ourselves of truth. The word remember is in our Bible more than 230 times, depending on what translation you look at. Over and over again, God calls us to remember key truths that anchor us to him. Remember those verses I just shared with you. But also, I think there's something else parents need to remember when it comes to technology and the dangers and the temptations that we and our children will face. And it's this simple reminder of this, that we are at war. We are in the middle of a war, but God is with us and he's given us a battle plan. There is a spiritual war going on in everything we experience and it's a war for our hearts. Ephesians 6.12 tells us this, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is an evil, dark force coming against us. And God says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. But we gotta remember that we're at war so we're not surprised by Cosmo after dark or anything like that. First Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. There is an enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who may devour. So freaking out, like we're saying, don't fret. Freaking out is like this. If you're a lieutenant and you are leading troops in the battle and you go out in the battlefield and the enemy's there and they are throwing grenades at you and they're firing bullets at you. And then you, you come back in off the battlefield and to report to your general and you're like, general, you, you won't believe what's going on out there. They have bullets. They have, they have grenades. Can you believe this? That's people sending me, did you know there's porn on the internet? It's coming after our kids. And my response is this, yeah, you're a lieutenant and you're at war and there's an enemy. Get back out there and keep fighting. Don't fret. Remember, victory is promised to us. God is with us. You can have peace in the battle, but you're called to fight. And so practically, what does this look like? I wanna share with you my response and then we'll let, get Wes up here. Um, it's gonna be up on the screen. So here's the, uh, the text message that I copied and pasted and emailed and sent to everybody that sent me this. And it says this, this is certainly a terrible development and the insights about the practical aspects of Snapchat are helpful for the uninformed. That's a jab. 
I'm calling him uninformed. It was just a little passive aggressive thing. It's fine. But I was just like, don't bother me on my day off. I get to take that job. Still, I don't think we should be surprised by this Snapchat development. I guarantee you most kids aren't. They've already been sent, been shown, searched, indulged in, and maybe even produced and distributed porn of their own. This is a sad reality, but it's true. The entire internet is in the porn business and kids already know that porn lives in their pocket. It calls to them every day. Snapchat isn't any more dangerous today than it was last week. The most dangerous thing is thinking for even one second that our enemy isn't on the prowl. Porn is just one of the many temptations that are presented by phones. And I think we should be cautious about encouraging parents to simply respond to alarming viral news and delete their kids' Snapchat. That would give them a false hope. This article lacks the substance of the gospel. We must keep that at the forefront. This is the part I really want to make sure you hear. Our calling, nest, parents, leaders of young people, is to primarily and faithfully teach and encourage kids and families to truly know and abide with Christ and be transformed into his image by renewing of their minds. I believe this is what we are doing. It matters and we should continue with every breath God gives us. As the character of Christ is formed in the minds and lives of his people, the realities of sin will come into focus and applications like possibly deleting Snapchat will come with true deep conviction, not out of momentary shallow fear. This is the glorious, redeeming, sanctifying work of God that we long to participate in. So guys, when we're talking about owning your devices, this comes through heart transformation, not behavior modification. Owning your devices and your kids being able to own their devices that they have independent of you, by the way, in their schools and that they have at their friend's house out of your control. If you want those devices to be owned, that are a reality of the world we live in today, that comes through heart transformation, not behavior modification. You can't keep up with behavior modification. Technology's changing too fast and it's too much everywhere. You can't just keep modifying behaviors and keep up with it. So your goal is heart transformation. I told my kids on the way to school today that I was talking to you guys about this and my oldest son thinks he's really clever and smart. And he goes, let me guess, no Fortnite, no texting, and no phones until you're a teenager. And I said, no, I'm not giving them a list of no's. And I said, by the way, you play Fortnite, shut up. (laughs) I, I talked to him about this. I said, here's what the apostle Paul says, is I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy, look to God's mercy and offer your body as a living sacrifice to him. Your hand, your eyes, your neck, everything in your body you would use to look at your phone, holy and pleasing to God and worship him. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And so, him owning his device, you owning your device, your kids owning their device, owning the devices in your home comes when our hearts are surrendered to God and our lives and our minds and our thoughts are transformed by him. Then our devices don't own us. The temptations that come our way when I open Snapchat and there's a new thing coming at me, it's not gonna throw me off my game because I'm seeking God that day and I'm wanting to know him and honor him and glorify him. 
And so your, your goal is to teach your kids that about Jesus, to know him and to love him and to walk with him and to know his word and to be transformed. And you do that first by modeling and then by teaching them. And to tell you a little bit more about how to do that, Wes Butler, come on up here, my man. Thank you, David. Uh, good morning. Um, so I've been, ever since David told that story, story about Snapchat, I've been trying to figure out, did I send him that on his day off? I don't think that I did. I've also uh, been thinking I really need to tell Allison about Regen on Monday nights. Um, so there's this thing. Anyway, um, hey, let me introduce uh, my family to you. So my lovely wife, Brandy, is actually in the back somewhere, hiding in the dark corner over there. Uh, but Brandy and I have been married for 21 years, and these are our amazing kiddos. So I've got Josiah, who's a 15-year-old freshman at J.J. Pierce right now. Uh, Selah is that beautiful young blonde uh, there next to me that uh, is increasingly, people are like, it's kind of creepy that you're taking this really young girl out on a date. I'm like, no, that's my daughter. Um, and uh, so she's lovely and wonderful. Her name is Selah, and she's 13. And then Malachi there in the bow tie is uh, my 10-year-old uh, who thinks he's funnier than he is. And then, uh, and then sweet Ella is our eight-year-old. And so, um, you know, as I was thinking about uh, what I wanted to share with you this morning, I, this uh, Monday night, I was uh, putting my kids to bed, helping get them uh, to bed. And as any good family of six does, we were in a perpetual state of doing laundry. So it was just kind of always happening, you know? And, uh, and so I walked into my girl's room and we have these things, I don't know if you've seen them before, but we have these things called dressers. Everybody familiar with a dresser? Yeah, it's this thing that sits in your room and I don't know if you know this, but uh, they have drawers in them. And when you pull them out, then you can like put things in them. Well, when I walked into my daughter's room, sweet Ella, her dresser, she had this wonderful dresser with drawers and a stack about three feet tall on top of the dresser of all of her folded clothes. And I said, Ella, you, you know where these clothes go, right? She goes, well, yeah, but I, I was like, no, 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 like this is the point. Do you know what a dresser is for? And we just kind of had this conversation and we laughed and I, you know, joked with her and everything. And we took the clothes and we, I was like, this is what happens. And now those things are in their place. And so this morning, what I've been tasked with talking with us about is, uh, is kind of the E in the word key, which is that we must elevate what matters most, which in this case is the family. You see, technology has a place in our family, but technology, if we're not careful, is like the clothes sitting on top of the dresser. They're just kind of overrunning the dresser instead of playing the role that they were intended to play within the dresser. Your family is like the dresser. It has a purpose. And so I would argue this morning that we don't really have a technology problem in our families today. What we have in our families today is a lack of an understanding of what is the purpose of the family that God has given us. And then figuring out where does technology fit into that purpose. And so what I want to do uh, with us today, uh, briefly with my time, is just to talk with us about I mean, what is the family and give us a definition of what family is and then talk about what is technology's place within that and what does technology offer versus what does the family offer. So here is my working definition and we'll leave it up there so you can copy it down. But uh, as I have thought a lot about family and what is the purpose of it, this is what I've written. Is it, a family is a divine institution established and designed by God for the purpose of forming people to represent God's wisdom, character, and creativity in the world, and then pass it on 
from generation to generation. So within that, you see scripture, and we'll put up the scripture references along with that definition that you see, because where this comes from is we see in Genesis 2 that God is the one. It's interesting when we think about the family and people want to quote unquote redefine the family, but if you didn't define it in the first place, you don't get to redefine it. See, God defined it and he looked at Adam. He said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Notice that it wasn't Adam who went, hey God, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm all by myself here. He didn't even know. God was the one who said, no, it's not good for you to be alone. So let me do something you don't even know you need. And so God instituted the family, right? And then he designed it for the purpose of forming people. We see in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. And then that those people would represent God. Because he tells them in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth and subdue it or rule over it. And so we were created to be God's image bearers to then represent God to the world. And so these precious little babies in this room and all the ones downstairs and the ones that are at school right now, they are image bearers of God who were created for the purpose of representing God in this world. In what ways? Well, what we see is that we represent God's wisdom. We see this in places like Deuteronomy 6, where we are told, hey, families, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I've commanded you today, let them be on your heart and teach them diligently to your children. We see in Deuteronomy 30, later on, God speaking to the people and saying, look, I have set before you today life and death, so choose life. And wisdom is us choosing God's way over our way. And so we are intended and we're created to represent God's wisdom. And we as moms, as dads, our goal and our ministry is to raise up these image bearers who represent God's wisdom. Secondly, his character, the very person of who God is. In Psalm 78, we see this great passage that just says, look, we will not hide from our children the glorious deeds of the Lord and the wonders that he has done. But we will tell them from generation to generation these marvelous things that God has done. What? We need our kids to understand the character of God. And then even this morning, I was just reading 1 Thessalonians 2, where it says, hey, fathers, you know what you're supposed to do? Fathers are intended to uh, exhort and encourage their children to walk in a manner worthy of God. In other words, the character of God. And so the purpose of your home, the purpose of your family, that dresser that is your family, the purpose is for you to develop people of character. And not of their own character, but of the character of God. And then finally, we see that we represent God's creativity. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien said that we are actually sub-creators. It's why we find so much joy and so much life in doing work. And when something is done, we just go, man, look at that. That is good. In the same way that God himself at creation created and said, man, that is good. There's some joy that comes to us. And so we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, where we are told that because of the gospel and because of Jesus, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he says, look, as a new creation, be God's ambassador to a broken world, to bring beauty and light and goodness into this world. And so for you as moms, for me as a dad, our job is to form people to represent God's wisdom, his character and creativity in the world. And here's what I want you to know is that only the family through the power of God and through his spirit leading us is capable of doing this. Now, what technology does, you're going, wait, I thought we were talking about technology. We are. What technology does is that it, is, it tempts us to believe that, hey, it can take the place of these things. 
It can take the place of these things. And so technology, if I were going to define it, I'm using Andy Crouch's book, uh, The TechWise Family. If there's one book you should read on this topic, that is it. And in that book, he defines technology this way. He says, look, technology is something that just works and it's everywhere. It is not a tool. And he makes the case that a tool is something that you have to learn how to use. Okay. If you walk around my home right now, you'll go, hey, Wes, why haven't you fixed that? And I would say, well, it's because I have to use tools and I don't know how to use them. Okay. Because a tool is something I have to develop a skill at versus this little thing where I can hand to your two-year-old right now and they're like, I can, I can handle this. I can make a calendar appointment right now if I need to, <laughs> right? Because it just kind of works and it's everywhere instead of having a specific purpose and a specific place. And so technology then begins to, like my daughter's laundry on top of a dresser, just begins to infiltrate and overflow and take over. And if we are not elevating what matters most, it will rule us, as Allison has said so well. So really quickly, here's what technology delivers and here's what only the family delivers. First of all, technology delivers information, but it cannot deliver wisdom. We are the first generation of parents whose kids do not need us for information. Uh, last night I was watching my Astros lose, which was very sad and I'm, I'm a little bit depressed this morning, but I was watching that game and my son, Josiah, is sitting next to me. He goes, Dad, why? Sometimes when they strike out, there's a uh, backwards K and sometimes a front, front, you know, regular K. I go, I have no idea. Never even noticed it before. Guess what he did? He pulled out his phone, he searched it, and he told me the name of some guy who developed this deal and said, this is how a K should be. And a K backwards means that you didn't swing at the pitch, the umpire called you out. And a forward front uh, for, uh, regular K is when you swing through the pitch and you miss it. So now you know. I didn't know that. My son knew that because why? He didn't need me for information. What my son does need from me is he needs me to interpret the information that he is being given. Your children are gonna be inundated with information throughout their life because of the world that we live in and they need you. Siri and Alexa will not be able to tell them everything that they need to know about what it means to choose life. They need you. John Stone Street in his great book, A Practical Guide to Culture, and he says it often. He just says, look, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And there's lots of ideas that are coming through in the information that your children are getting and they need you to help them understand that information and to figure out what does it look like for me to choose life in this moment. Colossians 2.8 says this, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Moms, see to it that you are passing on wisdom. So how do we elevate wisdom in our homes? A few things here. One, we create an environment, a safe environment for asking questions. I said it, I've said it to my kids just this week. Hey, you know you can ask me anything. I think one of the mistakes that we make oftentimes as parents, especially in this information age where they're being uh, inundated with different things is that they ask us something and our first response is, <gasps> right? Oh, I can't believe you just said that. My daughter uh, often say, will say, oh, I need to ask you this question, but I don't want to say this word. I go, you, you should probably say the word because I've probably heard it before. <laughs> and we'll talk about words that she's heard and terms that she's heard because I want to help her make sense of the world that is here. And so for us as parents, creating a safe environment for asking questions, second thing is to give them a biblical worldview to help our kids understand. We don't have nearly enough time to unpack all that that entails but if we understand that we are humans created in the image of God and sin has broken us and we live in the brokenness of this world, then guess what? Cosmo after dark is just like, of course. I could read you the book of Judges and we get there. 
There's nothing new under the sun. And so we want to give them a biblical worldview to help them understand the world around them. And then finally, it's just to be diligent to ask good questions. Stone Street uses these three questions. When his kids come to him and say things, he goes, hey, first of all, what do you mean by that? Which by the way, for little, little kids is really helpful because they may be asking you a question. You're like, oh my gosh. And all they really saw was just something on Daniel Tiger's neighborhood and it's going to be okay. All right. So (laughs) make sure you go, what do you mean by that? Before you like unpack, you know, human sexuality for them. Um, So what do you mean by that? Second, how do you know that that's true? And then finally, what if you're wrong? See, these are conversations that we have at our dinner table and, and just with our kids. Uh, a resource I would commend to you is World Magazine. So World Magazine, for $8 a month, I get World Magazine in three different types of publications, World Kids, World Teen, and then just the regular old good old World Magazine. And within that, and there's actually a preschool version called, uh, called God's Big World for little, little kids. And, uh, and for, for all those things, what they do is they just kind of bring up topics that we get to talk about and go, hey, this is what's going on. Look, your kids have heard things, especially when they start going to school, they're gonna hear things that if you're not going, hey, let's create an environment where we get to talk about this, then you're missing out. You're losing an opportunity. And as David said, we are at war. And I would tell you that one of the most helpful weapons that you have in the war that we're in is your dinner table. And no devices at it. So, technology delivers information. It cannot give wisdom. Secondly, technology delivers caricature. The family is intended to to deliver character. Sherry Turtle is an MIT professor who years ago wrote a book just talking about, oh, the technology that's coming is gonna be amazing and it's gonna make us a better world and a better people. Sherry Turtle did not have a biblical worldview to understand the brokenness and depravity of mankind. And since she wrote that book back in the 80s, has come back out and is now writing these books going, oh my gosh, I think technology is ruining humankind. And in a TED talk that she gave, she just said this, we're designing technologies that will give us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. And so moms, for us, oftentimes, especially I think moms, when you are stuck at home because it's raining outside and, uh, and you've got a computer and you can interact with the world, what we often do if we're not careful is we just interact with the world in a way that just allows us to create a caricature for the world. And our kids are learning that. It's interesting to me that my kids will say to me at times, my littlest kids and have for a while, hey daddy, are you gonna put that on Facebook? because they know, they see, they observe. And I don't know that we've ever had a full-on conversation about what is Facebook, but they figured it out. Hey, that was really cute, Dad. Are you gonna put that on Facebook? I was like, nope, I'm gonna put your temper tantrum on Facebook. How do you feel about that? You know, and they're like, no, 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 not that, not that. But technology will deliver this, hey, this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to see. And if we're not careful, we'll do that. And so here's what social media is doing. And especially as your kids get older. And as David said, all these things are changing so rapidly. I don't know what it's going to look like when your kids are 15 like mine. But the principles are true. So social media is delivering this easy everywhere of reputation building. Everywhere I go, I have an opportunity for you to like me more. And in fact, if you click the little heart, I know you like me more. And then here's what happens is that this, is, this becomes this unending popularity contest. And then studies are showing that with every time that I open up my Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and I see that somebody else liked it, I get a little endorphin rush. And so social media has become a medicine pump that when relationships are difficult and challenging in these character building moments, I go to a social media platform and go, will someone please tell me that I'm good and that you like me? And it's a drug that we're giving to our kids if we're not careful. And that for us as moms, as Alice is gonna talk about in a minute, 
we want to be careful. Romans 5 uh, talks about this idea that we rejoice in our sufferings. And you know where sufferings happen a lot? is in relationship, in our friendships. But suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces what? Character. And character is what produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's been given to us. This is what we need. This is what our children need. And this is the purpose of our family. So we want to uh, elevate character by one, carefully considering the introduction of social media. Uh, my, my son, 15 years old, does not have Instagram, Snapchat, or any of that stuff right now. Just, I don't think it's good for his heart. The other thing I would say on this is you gotta know your kids. My daughter is still confused why when her brother turned 13, he got a phone, a flip phone, and she didn't. And uh, it's because she's a different child than my son. And that's okay. And by the way, I'm the parent, she's the child, and I get to make these decisions. So carefully consider that. Secondly, is that you wanna use technology together and for a purpose, not alone and aimlessly. And our children need that. We're gonna talk about that here in just a second. And then finally, you wanna encourage total access for total transparency. And moms, here's what I would tell you on that. When my son got his phone, I just went, hey, you just need to know that I can always grab your phone and go, hey, let me look at it. One, because I'm paying for it. And two, because I'm your parent and I love you. And so Brandy and I both at different times will go, hey, let me see your phone. And one of the things that we'll do with that is we'll read through text messages with him. And just go, hey, buddy, you did really well here. I'm so proud of the way you responded to this friend. Hey, buddy, I think you could have done better here. Or, hey, I'm confused about this response. And we just help him give him wisdom and develop his character as he is interacting with his friends uh, in that way. But I have not asked my son to do anything that I am not. My wife has access to my phone. And if she wants to grab it and look at it and look through my text messages, then please do. And so I'm not asking something for my children that I'm not doing for myself. Lastly is this, that technology delivers productivity, but God intended us for creativity. G.K. Chesterton said, we are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. And especially in our world. Now, let me tell you what I think productivity looks like for you guys as moms, for me as a dad is that I want to be productive. I want to get things done. And oftentimes the best way when my children, especially were little and running around, the best way for me to get things done was to go here, play that game, consume Netflix, because I got to get some things done. Now, look, is there a time and a place for that? Yes. So hear me say, I'm not saying that that's always the wrong thing to do or evil. But if the prevailing winds in our family or, hey, you know what, here's your phone, or here's my phone, I gotta get some things done. Then we're missing out on developing creativity in our kids. Did you know that the word boredom didn't even exist 200 years ago? When people should have been the most bored of all time because they didn't have TV, (laughs) and they didn't have a phone. What happened? We started distracting them with all these things and saying, hey, 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 hey." and now when those things are taken away, like, I'm bored, I'm bored. We've taken away the ability for people to have uh, space and margin for creating things, but that is what we were created for. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us to do. And so we want to foster creativity. So how do we elevate creativity in our home over consumption or productivity for us is one, we wanna create environments in our home that reward Uh, creativity. So do you have a place in your home where there's construction paper and glue and and scissors and all the things that are going to make a terrible mess in your home? I get it. And yet are those places that, oh, I'm bored. Well, hey, look right over here. Why don't you go make something? 
why don't you go outside? And the second thing is just to lead your family to awe at the created over the produced. See, so often we're just consuming produced matter off of, again, Netflix or that movie that we take our family to or whatever. And what we need to do is go, hey, let, let's go create. Let's go wor- worship God and his creation. So as I wrap up and as I, we think about elevating what matters most, we are making disciples in this digital age. And so Proverbs 24 says this. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Ladies, you know, God has commanded you. He has given you this amazing opportunity to raise these image bearers of God. You know. And so let's lead with courage. Let's lead with courage. And Alice is going to tell us ways that we can do that. Mm, Good stuff. Thanks, Wes and David. Awesome. All right, ladies, so if the key to owning devices in our home is is first, the K is keep, focus, don't fret. The E is elevate what matters most. The Y is you set the pace. The Y is you set the pace. And so how many of your kids like to play dress up? Raise them high. So, and then with your little kids, it goes from princesses and ninjas um, to wearing their favorite sports character or personality uniform, right? How many people have kids like that that wear their favorite jerseys? Just this week, I had Messi, who is a professional soccer player, but nobody else knows about besides my family because we love soccer. But Messi and uh, FC Dallas were dressed up as pirates attacking each other in, um, in my home this week. And so, ladies, um, the other day, our kids love to play dress up, and the other day, and this summer I was sitting at my desk um, in my kitchen. And you know when your kids are trying to sneak up on you, but like you can totally hear them, right? And so I heard the giggling and I turned around and I saw this picture. These two cutie patooties were dressed up like me and their dad. (laughs) Those of you that know me, you know that all shades of aqua, teal, turquoise, and mint are my favorite. And my daughter had on my favorite wintertime sweater with my favorite scarf and my favorite shoes. I'm wearing them now. And then my son there, that's my husband's like, comes home from work and work, his work business clothes come off and goes on the tennis shoes and the t-shirt. And that's a shirt he wears about every other day. And so then at open house last year, um, see if I can make it through this one. At open house last year, we walk in and this was displayed on my daughter's desk. I'll read it for you, <clears throat> hopefully. Footsteps to follow. When I'm older, I hope to follow in the footsteps of my mommy because she is a leader of the nest. She teaches women about the Bible. Ladies, I share that with you because our kids are watching. They're hearing me talk about my favorite color is aqua. I love the nest because it is empowering women to lead and love their families and guide them in truth. She sees it because I wear it all the time. And she sees me answering phone calls, sending emails, working on things for the nest. Our kids both observe and they hear. And so much of more of what they learn about how to handle technology is caught, not taught. So much more is caught, not taught. And Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm gonna give you two principles off this passage, this scripture. The first thing is notice the word train. To train means to both teach and to model. To train means to both teach and model. 
So I coach my daughter's third grade soccer team and I can shout directions all day long on how to appropriately pass a ball, strike a ball when you're shooting, dribble a ball. But it's not until I demonstrate for them proper technique and I coach them with my words that it sinks in. The other point I want you to learn from this, um, to remember from this, and probably the most important thing about this passage for you to remember is it is a proverb. That means it's a principle, not a promise. It's a principle that in general, when I strike a ball that direction, it's gonna go that direction. When I throw a football that direction, it is in general going to go that direction. But the world, things in the world are gonna interfere with the direct trajectory of that ball. Just like our children, our job as parents is to train them, to teach them and model for them the way in which they should go. And when they are old, by God's grace and his provision, the world will not interfere and they will go in the direction that you have pointed them. And so ladies, I ask you, how are you doing at modeling healthy technology in your home? If your kids were to mimic your usage when they have a device someday, would it be a win? And I say that with fear and trepidation because the last thing I need you to feel is guilt and shame or have performance anxiety because that's not what this is about. I ask you those questions to go, okay, where in my life? I'm setting the pace for my kids long before you hand them a device. They are learning from you how they're gonna handle it. So where in your life could you take some ground? Where in your life and how you handle technology, ask yourself Psalms 139, 23, search me, O God. Show me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Guys, I had to do this. I can only ask that and say that because I had to. Um, Earlier this year, my son turned 10. And for me, 10 was a big number, double digits, six years till he was driving, eight years till he's out of my home, which meant he was more than halfway done under our care. And we have lots of conversations in the car because we're in the car a lot. Lots of conversations. And around his birthday, we had the conversation once again about why he did not get his own device for his birthday yet. He's been asking for two years. It's right. It starts around seven or eight. And all they want it for is games. They don't get there's other purposes for a phone. So just if they're asking for a phone, it's okay. Um, They want it for games. And so my son was like, why didn't I get a phone again? And it's like, well, we have a house phone, um, an iPhone that we use as our home phone. We also have a family laptop. We also have a family iPad. All the things that you need a phone for, like you have access to. At this point, you don't have one. And so we talk about phone. And we also talk a lot about when he's driving in six years. And as we're having all these conversations about phone usage and driving while we're driving, I realize how much I touch my phone when I drive. And I touch it aimlessly and not with purpose. Um, There are times to use it, navigation, et cetera, but there are many times I was picking up my phone just out of habit and the Lord convicted me deeply. And my typical bent is to hang out in guilt. My typical bent is to think, oh, I'm a bad mom. I'm a terrible mom. My kids are gonna be ruined because of me. Proverbs 22, six, they're gonna be so far away from good because I'm a terrible example. That's where I go. But the Lord in his sweet, sweet kindness was like, Allison, honey, it's not about your being, you being perfect. It's not about you setting the perfect example. It's about you showing your kids what it's like to be perfected by Christ. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. And so parents, moms, take a deep breath. Your job is not to model perfectly. I know you haven't, I haven't either. Our job is not to model perfectly how to have a healthy relationship with technology, but our job is to say, man, I'm not perfect, but kids, I am allowing God to transfer my life in this area. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so 
On the back of your handout, um, there's a handful of resources that I personally walked through, things I listened to, things I read. I cannot um, encourage you more to read that TechWise Parenting book that Wes referenced. Those are the things that I read as I began. I got convicted by this. I confessed to the Lord. I confessed to my community. I confessed to my kids. And they go, okay, Lord, what is it that I need to change? Um, How can I better honor you with the way that I handle technology and model for my children Um, the way that I hope that they would someday. And so I'm going to share with you three things that I implemented. We mamas, we like lists, we like practical applications. So here's some practical application for you today. Um, One of the things that I changed was um, the idea that Wes mentioned that phone usage should be purposeful, not aimless. And so I found that um, I, I wanted to lead out in that in my family. And I found that the most time when I'm aimlessly on technology is usually when I'm bored said the word, or um, I'm waiting and I wasn't really prepared with my time. And so two things, the way that I kind of have curbed this in my life was one, when I'm waiting without my kids, um, I know that that time is coming. And so I try to intentionally think like, what do I, what could I use with that 30 minutes in the waiting room at the doctor's office? What could I use with this time? How would it best be spent? Sometimes it's checking my emails and responding to texts and checking in on community, right? Sometimes it's technology, but other times I've learned, man, there's these books on my at a stack that I'm wanting to read. I haven't tackled them, but I, my phone tells me I spend two and a half hours on it a day. So somewhere in there, maybe there's some time. And so maybe I'd bring a book with me. Um, I also, one of the ways that I'm trying to implement that phone usage is not, about, is not aimless, but purposeful is when my kids and I know we're gonna be in a waiting time. When we're going to be waiting, so whether we're picking up somebody from a practice or a doctor's appointment or seasons where we're having to wait, restaurants where we're having to wait and be still and be patient so I don't quickly turn them to my phone to keep them quiet, I as a mom set the pace in that I'm not going to aimlessly look at my phone when we're waiting and together we're not going to do that. And so a couple of things I do, I pack an activity bag. My kids, if you go to dinner with me, you see they walk in with their little, they have these little bitty bags and I say, hey, pack your activity bag, we're going to dinner, it's probably going to be a long one. And so they pack their activity bag with things that they can do at a table that's like appropriate for the time and the place or the doctor's office. I have a deck of cards in my purse. You can play everything from go fish to war to solitaire as your kids get older. I mean, we pull out those deck of cards and we play all kinds of things. I mean, when they're little, you can just show them up and go, what number is this? And it's seven. You know, I mean, there's so many things you can do with a deck of cards. I also have two magnetic games in my purse I keep or in my, my car that I throw in my purse. So magnetic hangman and magnetic tic-tac-toe. And those are things we were just the other day waiting at gymnastics for sister to finish up. Um, My youngest child was getting very impatient. And I'm like, hey, you want to play some hangman? He's like, yeah. And so we pull it out. He doesn't know how to spell. Just learned his name. He's in kindergarten, right? But we're still working on and and apps. We can do hangman with those, right? We still did those things. Um, The second thing that I implemented uh, personally was I just needed some um, boundaries around my phone usage. And so I've established for myself some no phone zone times. I had to write it on a sticky note and place it in several places in my home that there are certain times of the day that unless it's really important, I need to not pick up my phone. So those are high need times of day. So like when the kids really are just, they're gonna be saying mommy all the time and they need me. So high need times of the day. Um, Meal times, like Wes said, meal times. um, In general, our phones are not with us or with me. An hour before I go to bed, I have to really shut down technology because it affects my sleep. Um, And then in the car. 
And so unless it was in purposeful usage, um, I wasn't going to aimlessly utilize my personal device. Um, And the other thing I was convicted of is that um, 90% of the time, the the new app, there's a screen time like setting you can look now. It 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 proved it. 90% of my like device usage is for ministry or COOing my family. Truly, most of the time I'm on there doing ministry-related things or I'm coordinating with my family, I'm texting about a play date, I'm coordinating with community, I'm responding to community. Like truly my phone is used and my kids have no idea if I'm doing, looking up a Bible verse or if I'm playing a video game, right? And so I was convicted that I need to teach my kids, share with them how I'm using technology appropriately. It's a gift. It is a gift that I now in my back pocket have like all the different translations of the Bible verses, gotquestions.org, all these things that I can go to when I need to. It is a gift. And so my kids have no idea though. And so I started sharing with them what I'm doing. Hey, mommy needs to sit down and um, send an email to my team about a, a leadership thing, a nest thing. Like I let them know what I'm doing, not to justify my uses, but to let them know what I'm doing. Just the other day, one of the things I do is I put my phone on my little desk in the kitchen and I have the ringer on. There are certain rings, tones for like my husband, my parents, like certain people. So if they rings, I know who they are. And my brother's wife had just had surgery and we'd been playing phone tag because I was trying to get the update on it. And we were sitting at the dinner table and I heard my phone ring. I knew it was my brother. And I was like, oh, I called Uncle Jason to hear about Aunt Sandy. I bet that's him calling me back. I'm gonna go get it. So I excused myself from the dinner table to go and answer the phone call for my brother because that was important. My no phone policy at the dinner table, like that got trumped in that moment. And my kids need to learn that. They need to learn not to be legalistic about it, but to how to handle it appropriately and accurately. And so ladies, in closing, um, I wish I could say that that my Fitbit that owned me, um, that I, you know, I learned some self-control and I was convicted and, and I'm doing better now. But the truth of the matter is it drowned at that beach strip from that picture in the beginning. And I came home and I... I tried to get it fixed and I, you know, got online and tried to get the parts. It was under warranty and all these things I got to go. And it wasn't until I didn't have it for a month or so that I really realized how much it was impacting my behavior. And I decided, um, not that you have to do that, but I decided for me in that moment, it was best for me to sport my $14.99 Walmart watch in my favorite color. Um, It was the best thing for me. And so I share that with you because ladies, the key to owning devices in our home is to keep focused don't fret. Elevate what matters more, what matters most, and remember that you are setting the pace. I'm going to pray for us and dismiss y'all to some table time. Father God, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and how your word is alive and it's active and it can teach us and guide us here and now, even though it's from long ago. Thank you, Lord, for your time and, um, and, and your word this morning. And I pray that conversations right now would be fruitful. Amen. All right, ladies, these questions on the screen are for you to unpack as with your table leaders. Um, we will be rotating the text in question. Um, I'm sorry, the text in number. And so if you have questions that popped up, you want to ask Wes, David, myself, and we are also going to grab Reby Long, who is the junior high girls director, um, to come on stage. You can text questions in to ask us here in about 15, 20 minutes. Hey, ladies, I know that table talk has been good. Y'all have been super chatty, which is awesome. We want to make sure and honor your time and the people downstairs watching your cuties and these guys that are up here on the stage. So we're going to answer a couple of the questions that came through. 
The phone number was wrong in the beginning, and now it's correct, and we'll keep it up here. If you think of something else that you want to ask, we're taking questions live, so feel free. Just as a reminder, you heard from these three, Allison, David, and Wes, but this is Rebe. She's on the student ministries team here at Watermark, and she's going to bring a great perspective today as well. So welcome her. This is her first time up there. (laughs) I brought my water bottle because sometimes my mouth gets dry and clicky. So that's why I'm holding a lot of things. We don't need that. We didn't need to know that. Um, The first thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, and I'll ask Allison this specifically, we um, all picked up a cell phone contract and some technology principles, but we didn't hear anything about that from the stage. So will you fill us in, please? Yeah, you sure didn't. Well, um, the jury's out on whether a cell phone contract is actually useful. David would say it's not. Um, But here's what we did. We gave you that because if that is your only tool when you give your child a cell phone, then I would say uh, probably not great. (laughs) But all the things that you just heard today are more important than a cell phone contract. But we wanted to give you an example. Wes passed that out at Dad U. We wanted to give you an example of some things to consider when you're considering passing your child um, a device. And then the Treadway Family Technology Principles Guide. That is when my husband, when I went down this, like, okay, I got to put some, rein some things in here. We read that book together. And then he straight up typed out this document and shows up and he's like, hey, this is what I think we need to like, really focus on teaching our kids. And I was like, I'm sorry, why do you just spoke my love language? I'm writing a document. Anyways, and so I share that with you only as a guide. It is there for you to get your red pen out and write it up. And to, if you need something, I need something posted in the kitchen where I can see and I can remind myself of what our principles are because I need it just as much as they do. And so that is just for you to use as a tool um, or throw it away if you don't. <laughs> I need to defend myself on this. I'm not against the contract that Wes wrote that he's sitting right here. Okay. Okay, great. I'm against it. Here's the, here's what I would say. John McGee wrote it worse. Um, No, worse for me because he has more authority. Okay. Well, there you go. Over. uh, Don't you think he does? I just think you should stop digging the hole. Okay. Ephesians, listen, write these down. Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3, 21. I kind of tend to put things like that in this category. Fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians three twenty one. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. And fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. I know enough kids to know that they're typically aggravated when their parent brings them a contract. And it's like, science. so like, I would just tread lightly in that area because um, those, are, those aren't things that kids welcome. Like, oh, cool, another contract? There, there may be a few kids. Like, if you have a kid like that, awesome. Like, jump right in. Yeah. But I would, like, if you're going to do that with your kids, great. But I would walk into it going, hey, I know this is going to annoy the dog out of you. But this is something your dad and I have decided we need to do. Um, so that's my take on the yeah. contract. Excellent. So can I, uh, I don't have my microphone. Am I on this microphone? No. Green, like hello? Is that what it is? Hello, test one, two. All right, there we go. So uh, I, I think the, um, what you do want to do within this is uh, all a contract is doing is just helping you to set expectations with your kids. And so we don't, have a, we don't use a cell phone contract at our home in a physical sense. We didn't, but as I was getting Josiah his flip phone, 
when he was, uh, you know, in seventh grade, I went, okay, hey, let's talk about what is inbounds and out of bounds. And, and it was a dialogue. It wasn't just me dictating it to him. It wasn't Brandy and I just saying, this is how it's going to be our way or the highway. We're having a dialogue. And then when he got his iPhone, there were things we just went, hey, we're not going to let, you know, we're going to take Safari off your phone. We're going to do this for a period of time, let you build trust, but let's just have these expectations and so that's really the purpose of the cell phone contract, whether you do it in writing. And I think that's just personality, the family, kid, or whatever, as David mentioned. But you do want to make sure that you've set expectations. It is not, uh, it is, I think, to the Ephesians 6, 4 verse, it is more exasperating to my son if I haven't told him up front, hey, I, your cell phone belongs to me and I can look at it anytime I want. And all I do is just kind of walk into his bedroom and go, right? And I've never had a conversation with him. So set those expectations up front is really the purpose of that whole thing. I like that. And it opens up conversation. That's good. Okay. Um, Reedy, we want to ask you, what are some of the common issues that you're seeing with teens and technology yeah. today? Um, so I, I can speak to the girl side and then David, I know will want to throw in, in general, but, um, so with girls, I would just say, and, and we all kind of know, um, like I, Facebook came out when I was in the tail end of my high school career and college and high school were still separate. If that gives you a good kind of frame of reference for my age. So, um, but I remember growing up and you guys probably do too. If your mom would say, what do you want to do for your birthday? These are your kind of two options. You can either have like five people over for a summer party or the whole grade over for like a bounce house, you know? And, um, and it was like, okay, those are my options. And if it was a smaller slumber party, I told just those people that they were invited and I handed out invites and they coordinated with their mom. And then my, and, and it was like agreed upon social etiquette that you didn't ask other people if they were invited and you didn't talk about the party with anybody who wasn't coming and you didn't talk about it after, which was crazy. Um, and now all of our kids know exactly where other people are and what they're being left out of. And so that's the greatest challenge that I see with um, our students is they automatically go, oh gosh, okay, everybody's at this person's house and they're doing this and I'm checking my texts and nobody wanted to know what I was doing tonight, you know? Or um, they're going, I was at that party and they didn't ask me to be in the picture and they're posting that picture after and like tagged everybody else and somehow I left before that picture. When was that taken? Like they just, so like hurt feelings feels like a weird thing, but really comparison um, and then just that like, Hey, increased, um, it, I mean, it starts so young and you never get rid of it. Right. But that increased of like, I'm not doing it right. Or I'm doing it wrong. Or just even more opportunity for kid, for girls, I think to go, there's something about me that people don't like. Hmm. What is it? You know, and it, it just creates room for that. Thank you. Um, Wes, what about, Oh, you, I got issues, girl. You, I'm so uh, sorry. Just, I'll just add these bullets. This has to be said, like common issues related to phones is pornography. Like, I already mentioned it with the Snapchat deal. Guys and girls, um, I, I mean, it's like high percentage. I, I'm, I haven't done the study. I could read you studies that would frighten you. But I will just tell you, anecdotally, interacting with students, uh, it's rare that a student will be asked by their small group leader, have you ever been exposed to pornography? And they would answer no. Like, it, it happens earlier than you think in elementary school. where some. I mean, my kids know. I've told them unequivocally a friend is going to show you an image you are going to find an image of a person with their clothes off like it's just Mm -hmm. it's inescapable so you got to know that's a common issue word vomit is saying something you can't take back 
um, and then it's out there and it's screenshotted and it's shared around, that's a common issue. Um, and then I would, the last one I would say is misalignment of parents and kids. Um, just parents not understanding the role that technology plays in, in like modern teens' lives. Um, the example is uh, a parent sees the, the Cosmo viral thing, takes away Snapchat from their kid, and the reaction to the parent feels way out of proportion to that. Like, like my life is now over. You have ended my life, my mm. social life, everything. And the kid just flips out, and the parent's like, whoa, I took one app. And so it's just not understanding, like, there are certain little nuances of technology that, that a kid will, in their mind, imagine, like, this is my life. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I think it's hard, I think a misalignment of parents and kids is a common issue we yeah. see. Okay. Um, Wes, I want to ask you, so if um, our kids, let's see, this person is just sharing that their child at a very young age in elementary school uh, grade was exposed to nudity for the first time, particularly because they Googled it. And so what is the response to that supposed to be? Yeah, so I mean, I think really going back to what David just said, um, we were talking about it in the back. We sat in this room with our staff three or four weeks ago, and uh, I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but it ended up with several people talking about kind of their first exposure to pornography. And this, for most of those people, was 20 or 30 years ago, long before phones were a thing. And, and just realizing, like, going around the room, like, all of us were exposed to it long before there was such a thing as Google. And so, uh, so one, I would just say, this is Solomon and Ecclesiastes saying, hey, look, there is nothing new under the sun. This is, uh, uh, sex is a good thing that the enemy has twisted because he can't uh, create something on his own. All he's done is taken what God created and he's just twisted it ever so slightly and he's taken it out of the context in which it was good. And so when our kids are exposed to these things and they see those things, again, this is why I was talking about that biblical worldview, is to help our kids to understand, hey, what was it for this particular child? What was it that drove you to search for those things. Uh, we have a child who's done similar things and we've had these conversations. Hey, tell me about what was it? You know, what was going on in your heart? And helping them to really just make sense of the desires of their heart. Where does that fall into just kind of the, uh, the uh, existence of humanity in general, right? To let them know that, you know what, you're not the first kid who's wanted to Google those things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this is something that Daddy's sexuality is broken. Mommy's sexuality is broken. Your peer's sexuality is broken. All of it because of sin. And so it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me that you would want to know about those things. You'd be curious about those things. Now, what does wisdom say we do with those things? What boundaries do we need to set up? Where do we as parents? And so I do think that we have to be wise as parents. Uh, You know, uh, the phone thing uh, you know, too many kids right now, there's lots of research going on about uh, teenagers, especially, you know, have their phones sleeping with them in the room. That's just disaster waiting to happen, right? Uh, it is handing my son a Playboy magazine saying, hey, stick this under your pillow and just don't look at it, okay? I'm sure you'll be fine. It's just ridiculous. I would never do that, right? And yet, if we're not helping our kids to go, hey, you're not wise, I'm trying to become wise and still failing miserably in a lot of ways, but I have. Uh, as we say in our house, I have 41-year-old wisdom. You have 15-year-old wisdom. Yep. And so let me That's use true. my 41-year-old wisdom, and will you trust me? Because I remember my 15-year-old wisdom, and it didn't get me very far. <laughs> so and true. so just helping kids to understand just the brokenness that's in their own heart, I think, is really the key. 
I think that's good. We only have time for one more question, so if we didn't get to your question, we'll respond to it um, here on the computer. You'll hear back from us. Um, but Allison, I want to ask you this because we all experience it. Um, what's the best way to respond when technology is taken away and the child loses their absolute mind? Reasoning with them at this point is a no-go, even if we talk about restrictions in the beginning. It takes so long to get them to settle back down. And this person put in parentheses a four-year-old. I'm telling you, I have an almost 13-year-old, and it's the same. <laughs> a more mature temper tantrum. That's right. Okay, what would I do in that situation? I think I would start with... Well, it tells me that you've had too much time because when I've taken it away from you, you're now flipping out. And so um, I would just rein it back in. Um, Is the question specifically like, how do I parent that kid in that moment? Or boundaries? Uh, What do you do do about just that every time we say, okay, enough enough screen time, there's a... Yeah. Um, I, one of our general rules in our family is that like, whenever you're allowed screen time, there's time to place for it when you're allowed to use it. When a mommy says it's time to shut it down, um, like their reaction determines when they get it next. So if it's that, then, then it's like, oh man, you're done for the day tomorrow, the week, whatever it needs to be. Um, that is definitely something my kids have learned that we have implemented from the beginning, which is really can be hard. The other thing I would think is, um, like all of us, we kind of want to wrap up what we're working on before we move on to the next thing. So make sure it's reasonable. Like, like if my son's watching a soccer video on YouTube about how to do something and there's like 35 seconds left, I think it's reasonable to go for him to make an appeal. Hey, mom, is it okay if I finish this video before I shut it down? He's acknowledging that I spoke to him and gave him the command, and he's respectfully asking for more, and that makes complete sense. In a four-year-old, I would teach them, hey, why are you upset? Once they calm down, it's why were you so upset? Is it because you want to watch more? Okay, mommy said from the beginning that you could watch one show, and when that goes off, then we have to shut it down. And so I would just remind him, if you want to watch something else, this is the tone of voice you ask, this is how you ask, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's good. Anyone I else? think that's good. And there's, okay. there's, there's a lot more ideas there, too, that you can use the people that you've just met and spent the morning with to ask, like, what do you do in your house? What do you do in your house? And everybody has kind of a different method, and you've got to figure out what works for each kid. And some kids can turn it off, and it's no big deal. And other kids, you're like, what? We do this every time, which is kind of crazy. Um, hey, we want to make sure that you have time to not have to sprint downstairs to get your kids. Before I wrap us up real quick, I just want to acknowledge, I think that um, Elizabeth had to leave, but Holly, will you wave to us? Holly was on the stage earlier, did the mentor mom. She's right there. Millie, will you wave? She's right over here. Those are our two mentor moms that are still here, and they are here for you. If you need to talk to somebody that's further along in the mommy phase, or if you have specific questions that you want to ask, please feel free to grab them. They're wonderful ladies. And then these four are going to stay up here for a little, bo- a little while if you need to ask a quick question or maybe get an email address. Like, I have another question I want to ask. Can I get your contact info? They would love to do that, right, David? You would love emails. You can, you can feed them with the peanut butter balls. Okay, let me pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to head on out of here. Give my cell phone number. Oh, yeah. Just we'll text you. me anytime. <laughs> you feel, you're so available. All right, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for giving us um, a little window into a biblical perspective on technology. Would you continue to educate our hearts and our minds in this area, Lord? Would we just continue to follow your word and your wisdom as we take the next best step um, when it comes to technology, Lord. And will we not fret? May we trust in the hope that Jesus brings. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.